Hello, everyone. Welcome back. It's already February in 2021. So where'd the last month go? <laughs> uh, I don't know if anyone else is feeling that way, but last year felt so long and this year I think is going by pretty quickly. This week, I have a guest who is a comedian and a podcast host. Does that sound familiar? But we have totally different paths otherwise. So she works in PR, and she ended up doing comedy for a little bit different reason than I did. And she's just really cool. I've gone to see her, one of her shows that she curated in London, where I'm living. And we had a great time talking. I think one thing I like so far this season is I've had a lot of fun with each of the guests even when we're discussing serious things. And I think you'll find that this one. So we do talk about comedy quite a bit. And I think it'll be an interesting perspective for people. I know some of my friends have followed my time in comedy so far and have learned quite a bit as I've been learning. But this guest, Vix Layton, she has an interesting perspective on like gender, especially females in comedy. And I really loved what she had to say She's also written some things about body image and dieting, and admittedly, that's something that has been a hindrance for me for a long time, and I know for a lot of other people, and I I just really enjoyed that she was willing to talk about certain things and that we got to do that. Um, The initial idea for the Spotify playlist that I created, which I haven't talked about, but there's a Spotify playlist now with all of the Groundhog's Day songs. So my fun five questions. If this is your first time listening, I do a fun five. It's questions at the end of the episode. And one of the questions that I ask guests, and that you can even answer yourself and even comment to me, maybe in social media, but uh, one of the questions I ask the guests is, if every day was Groundhog's Day, and this really harkens back to 2020, but I think we're in it now too. A lot of us are still in lockdown. What song would you have on your alarm clock? And in Groundhog's Day, the movie, Bill Murray had I Got You Babe playing. So it has to be a song that you would sacrifice, <laughs> basically, but that you also really love. And um, I thought of, during this episode, making a Spotify playlist of all the songs. And so there is one now. So you can look up the More Than Work podcast um, Groundhog's Day playlist, basically, and check it out. And it's actually kind of a fun playlist, and it's getting bigger, so... Just wanted to mention that, give that a plug. Um, and at the end, we laugh around both of our particular enjoyment of people falling. <laughs> I've, I've been known to YouTube, search on YouTube for people falling. Um, and also Harry Styles. <laughs> I guess those are the two things I've been obsessed with lately. But anyway, uh, thanks for being here and joining me this week. Uh, this season, we have some, we've had some amazing guests. This is going to be a really fun one. And then we have some really exciting stuff coming up. So I can't wait for you to hear this episode and the next ones. Thanks a lot for being here and for your support. Don't forget to like and subscribe and review and everything. I'd really appreciate it. Thanks everyone. Now we're going to go into an ad and the music and then the show. Welcome to More Than Work, the podcast reminding you that your self-worth is defined by more than your job title. I'm Rabia, an IT project manager, comedian, nonprofit volunteer, and sometimes activist. Every week, I'll chat with a guest about pursuing passions outside of work or creating meaningful opportunities inside the workplace. As you listen, I hope you'll be inspired to do the same.
Hey guys, well, this is uh, a guest from across the pond for the U.S. listeners, which I've looked and most of my listeners are in the U.S., so this will be fun for everyone. I have someone I've met actually in person, one of the rare people I've met in person in London since living here just because of lockdowns, but uh, let's bring on our guest today. It's Vix Layton. She's a PR manager and a comedian. Vix, welcome. Hi. Uh, I'm not even English as well for your American listeners. I'm a Welsh person exiled to England. So um, yeah, I had to cross a bridge to get here, but I'm not quite as far as you. <laughs> but yeah, that's even more fun too, because I've had a few friends actually, and I guess we'll just get right in, right? But uh, <laughs> I've had a few friends ask me like what the different accents are and can I tell the difference and stuff like that. And it's always fun. I've asked a few British people I know, what's your accent? And one says posh, and he's like, oh, I'm posh. I'm like, okay. <laughs> That's not an accent. That's not a regional dialect. <laughs> it seems like it's just more of an attitude, right? Like... <laughs> <laughs> and then I know Northern's a little bit different than down here where I am in London. Yeah. But some people I just can't figure out anyway. So do you think your accent is very Welsh? or? Um, it is when I've had a drink. <laughs> then I can become more Welsh or if I'm with other Welsh people it will Mm. ramp up but I've lived in London for six years now and it's watered it down a little bit but I'm from South Wales which is the slightly softer side of the accent anyway so okay yeah that makes sense and I know even in the U.S. people end up getting different accents regional accents from the U.S. when they're and you mirror other people sometimes inadvertently yeah (laughs) you find yourself Dallas I started talking a little bit southern you know and not even not that much because they don't even talk like that so it's almost like what was going on with me was this was the question (laughs) you know it's a cry for help (laughs) (laughs) but yeah so you work in PR for your day job and you've been doing that for quite a long time now yeah 15 years I think that's that's too much work for how old I think I am but yeah (laughs) yeah about 15 years (laughs) <laughs> like our work experience, it's kind of like people with kids. I think they're the same way. Like they start to, my mom can't believe she has two kids over 40. You know, she yeah, kind of, that makes her feel older. <laughs> All my friends are getting older. I'm like, oh, that's a mature old age. Oh, we're in the same school year. I see. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so with, with PR, you end up talking to a lot of people. And I know in comedy, you end up doing that. But let's just talk about your career in PR first and kind of then what led you into doing comedy. So how do you like doing PR and kind of what's your favorite thing about that? Um, It's every day is different with PR. So um, the kind of PR that I enjoy doing is usually something that is quite dull on the base of it. And then it's a lot of challenges and problems to solve. How do you make it interesting to people? How do you create a story around it? That's enough about what you're selling for it to be selling it but also fun or interesting enough that it will be covered by press so I enjoy taking something and putting a different spin on it so that was I started off wanting to do music PR (laughs) and I but unfortunately none of the music PR companies actually wanted someone with no PR experience shockingly when I came out of university (laughs) I couldn't believe it I was applying for all these graduate jobs in the same way I think loads of people experienced this where there were graduate positions so they paid virtually nothing but they expected you to somehow have experience before yeah, but I couldn't get any experience because no one would give me the graduate position. So I kind of felt like I was on this sad carousel of I had no way to get the experience. And 
no experience to get the experience. So I was working in a call center at the time, Mm -hmm. um, doing car insurance claims, very exciting. And a PR position popped up in the within the business in a sister company that was for a car insurance price comparison site. And I can actually I can talk about it. It's a positive story. So I was working at Admiral, which is a big insurance company in the UK. And it was confused.com. And the policy at Admiral Group was they wanted everybody to apply for any job that they thought that they could do and that fit their aspiration. They were really supportive. So even at a call center level, if you thought you could do a PR job, not only did they want you to apply for it, they did all they could to try and support internal candidates into those roles. So I had an opportunity as part of the application process to meet the team before the interview to go and do what they called a port of call, which was sit with um a marketing person on that team for an hour and just find out a little bit about what they did which is really cool and it's not something that they had to do but they very much believed in where you have talent within putting it where you could so a lot of people in senior roles at admiral group started on the phones in the call center and those people are as valued to the business as the people that are making all their sort of the directorial decisions which was a really nice vibe and i was lucky because that was one of the first jobs i did out of uni And I came to expect that and look for it in other interviews after that happened to me. I just thought, right, that is the kind of question when they ask, you know, what's, what's your, have you got any questions for us to interview? That's the question I'd ask. (laughs) And if they got that question wrong, I didn't want to work there because um, I applied for this PR job over at confused.com, PR executive, got all the way to the final interview, didn't get it because I had no experience. (laughs) Yeah, which could have been where the story ended. But no, they created a PR assistant role for me because they recognized that I was really passionate about it, that I had a lot to give. I had a different perspective on the candidates that they'd seen for the higher role. So they made a job for me. So I got to move from my claims handling role over to PR. And it was personal finance and cars, not music. But Mm -hmm. I really loved it. I enjoyed that I'd worked on the phones, that I got a real sense of what customers' problems were. So I had this unique perspective because I was talking to journalists a lot and I had a unique perspective that other PRs didn't have because I'd done it. Mm-hmm. So I got a reputation quickly. I didn't know anything about PR. I didn't know about car insurance. So when I was meeting journalists, they could ask me technical questions. They could call me and say, right, um, is this how I understand it? And I'd be able to answer it in a way that other PRs for other companies couldn't. So I got a reputation for also being very chatty. <laughs> so I I made friends quite quickly and I made friends with a lot of junior journalists that were also quite new so we kind Mm -hmm. of helped each other out and then when they became editors later down the line they didn't forget me we we came up together so it was really yeah it was a a really cool start to PR and yeah it it changed me then I had the experience in personal finance so even though I always regretted not trying to go into entertainment PR because it was what I initially started I enjoyed what I did and Mm -hmm. when you've got something that you're good at you might as well carry on with it so I did a lot of other personal finance PR jobs that's that's cool and I think the aspect of first of all knowing the kind of company you want to look for going forward is so important because actually I've talked to a few like leadership coach type people or you know those executives on this podcast. And that's one thing is like a lot of the people who are entrepreneurs or coaches or whatever, they know what to look for in a place they work or they start their own business because they don't find it. So you learn that pretty early on in your career to look for that, right? Yeah, I was lucky I was spoiled with my first job. And I had a brilliant time with them. And so 
but like I said, it shaped the businesses that I was looking for from that point on. And I've typically worked and gravitated towards that kind of leadership with that kind of style, which has served me very well. And I think if I didn't work for those types of businesses, comedy wouldn't have taken off for me because mm-hmm. I needed that support. So in the last, like, r- the last couple of roles I've had, I needed that support from my business to recognize that I was doing something completely different that contrasted with my day job, but didn't encroach on it. Mm-hmm. And it takes somebody with an entrepreneurial spirit to see that, I think, rather than see it as something that is a big deal to you and might have a negative impact on the work that you do each day. Yeah, no, that's true. Because I mean, even in my my job, it's the same way. And actually, if, right before the holidays, my CEO asked if I wanted to do a five minute. He goes, hey, you want to do five minutes? And it was almost like, oh, are you in the industry? You know, are you my booker? <laughs> yeah. And it was cool, though. I got to do five minutes on a team's call, you know, just end of year thing. And it went went well. I had to clean up a few things, you know, for work. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing how um, many comedians don't when you book, because I booked a few corporate gigs in December. And I thought it was kind of... <laughs> implicit that if it's at lunchtime you don't like you you keep it pg no yeah no (laughs) no it's like yeah you you only have to find that out once (laughs) (laughs) i was like why are we going there are we we're going there at this lunchtime gig when no one's drunk cool (laughs) yeah i mean and i don't my comedy's not really I don't talk about it much on here, but I mean, my comedy is not too blue. I'm I'm a bit blue, like just as a person. And then people talk to me and they're like, but they're kind of surprised that my comedy is pretty clean, yeah. and, you know, so it wasn't that hard to do. But yeah, for some people, I can't imagine that they can even go up and, and say hello. Basically. I guess, yeah, I guess it's, uh, it's kind of in you as a PR marketer, you know, people's levels and you play to the safest. Yeah. So you kind of know what the trigger points are because I'm I'm looking out for this in my day job all the time. So if somebody sends me something to review, like they've written a blog for a magazine or they've been approached to write something, part of my job is to review that and check there are no flags in there or something that might be <laughs> might be inappropriate. So it's like a throwaway comment about oh some guy bit a bat in China and now this has happened. It's like no no no, <laughs> you kind of put our business's name next to that kind of take even as a joke. Like, yeah. So, yeah. so you kind of self-censor because that is it's my job to be that person to keep it safe to yeah. make sure when people give comments to press it it's got to be you know the, the game is making it fun and interesting but also appropriate so mm-hmm. my favorite career moment so spokesperson for a few brands as part of the role is I got um I got a quote from Jurassic Park into a comment I did about the spec of a new iPhone <laughs> And loads of people printed it and nobody knew. <laughs> yeah. I my favorite thing used to be when we were in meetings in person, I would say something from the big Lebowski, you know? Yeah, it's and like an Easter egg for people who get it. And I love the idea that people were like opening up the telegraph yeah. newspaper and going, hang on, that's not her quote, that's Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, great. Because they don't know, like I'll be all some new information has come to light and that's all. <laughs> I know what I'm doing, you know, and I'd say say no, I don't do that anymore. But yeah, I get it. That's fun. Yeah. And um, I guess the thing, yeah, it was a bit of a contradiction in that I did this PR job where I was going out and meeting journalists on a one-to-one level, going to networking events on my own, mm. acting as a company spokesperson. And um, I was 
really phobic of public speaking mm-hmm. <laughs> at the same time so people could see that I was outgoing and chatty and I'd be the person that they put forward for things and I, I couldn't do them because I was making myself sick with the anxiety of having to speak in front of even like people in my own office who are my friends like if there was a gathering of people I just have this physical kind of psychosomatic response to it and that embarrassed me because I couldn't even point to a situation in my past life that had triggered it because I used to be a show-offy kid I did GCSE drama in high school um properly winged it with a lot of stuff in my teenage years but the older I got the more nervous I got about public speaking there was no moment where like my top fell off or I forgot my lines or anything that I could point to and go oh it's because of that I don't know how it happens it went from normal nerves that you get when you you know big match mentality nerves to absolute like unmanageable stress for the smallest of things and I was embarrassed about it and annoyed about it because I kept going to conferences and complaining about the amount of male pale and stale speakers (laughs) that you would see on a panel it's like these guys are all white and 50 and they're talking about digital marketing why where where are all the women why aren't they being asked and then they would ask me and I'd say no so I was like oh I'm the women in this case and I I'm not doing it I'm expecting other people to step up and do something I'm not prepared to do myself so I need to fix it so I made a drunken new year's resolution two years ago um signed up for the funny women stand up to stand out course which was like an afternoon course for business skills that you learn through stand up and Mm -hmm. I was really nervous about it. I nearly didn't do it. And then I tweeted that I was planning to do it and found somebody else who was also well. She was traveling up to do it as well. And once somebody knew I was supposed to be there, that was the thing that I needed to push me to actually turn up. Because I was like, oh, if I chicken out, that person will know. (laughs) And I quite liked her and I was quite looking forward to seeing her. And she was reassured by the fact that I was going. So I did. I can do so much for other people that I can't do for myself. Like if I need ketchup in a restaurant, I will just not have ketchup. If my friend needs ketchup, I will be there with my hands up going, this person needs ketchup. And so it was that. It was like, oh, my friend Jen's expecting me to be there. So I will be there. Yeah. (laughs) And it was, yeah, it was a really good session. And it kind of examined why you were getting yourself into a lather over this kind of thing. Because there were a lot of people in the room with a similar outlook. But I was the only person that probably was ex- as extreme <laughs> as I was and like going around the circle I had to say something and my leg was twitching my eyelid was doing that weird twitching thing and um I managed to speak and a few people laughed at the thing that I had to say and I I liked it yeah. <laughs> when I was leaving the the lady that runs the course um said oh so what what are you going to do next what, what what's your next comedy thing and I was like hmm what's my next comedy thing? <laughs> I hadn't really thought of it. The only thing I wanted to do was try and get over the fear. And now I was still, I was still scared. Like it didn't change, mm-hmm. but I knew I could do it. And there's something different in knowing you can do it. Like I put myself through it. I'd voluntarily put myself through it and yeah. come out of the other side. And I kind of wanted to carry on with it, but I was very passive in my desire to carry on with it. So I just put something on Facebook and said, Oh, I want to do stand up comedy. Who's going to help me? And then uh, no one. <laughs> funny enough loads of people yeah. were like, oh my god you'd be so great at it but no one had any practical leads for me so I was like well that's fine then um so I, I genuinely I did all I could in my mind I could stick it off I was like well, I've done all I can <laughs> I really worked hard nobody had <laughs> nobody helped me so that that's done 
and um, I tweeted about it as well. And um, the comedian Mark Watson was doing a 26.2 hour marathon show. So the, the time length was to do with like the time of a marathon. And he was looking for people to take up challenges as part of it to raise money for charity. And we were tweeting about something else. And he said, did I see that you were doing stand-up comedy now? And I was like, no, I did a course. That's very different. <laughs> That's very different to actually doing stand-up comedy. And he suggested that I could try and get over my fear of public speaking and get into stand-up by doing that as a challenge for his show. So he put together like a little set of people that could help me and I did little sessions and he got me on stage to talk and I got to speak to like Ian Stone did a session with me like coming up with material and it was so surreal but by the time I got off stage like the fourth time over the course and I'd been up for like 40 hours by that point because we'd all stayed all because the the show is literally 26 hours Mm -hmm. and everyone stays (laughs) so by by the end of it it was pretty feral but um, I'd made a few friends with other comedians at that point and by the time I left I had a basically I'd met somebody who booked me for my first ever spot so and I went and did it it was terrible (laughs) and no one no one said it was terrible but I know it's terrible (laughs) looking back like I fell into all of the traps of like the generic cliche jokes like oh I thought I should think of you all naked like every trope every comedian does when they're new and having spent yeah. time on the open mic circuit <laughs> you recognize the sign well, or you've seen have you seen where someone says it was their first gig and <laughs> they've said that before and I'm like no it's not no nah, hang I'm, on yeah, yeah with like, you last you week here at this time for what yeah. <laughs> so do you think just looking at starting comedy in that way though someone basically giving you a shot and you didn't have experience and you look back at when you started PR at the company you were at. And again, someone giving you a shot when you didn't really have experience. Do you, did you recognize that as a, a theme for you, I guess, or maybe just, do you think you went for it when you did with the comedy, like, and say, okay, fine, I'll jump into the deep end and do this 26.2 hour thing because I've already been here before. Um, it was a bit of a bit of both. Like I came off that again with the similar energy of, oh my god, I really want to do this. And as I'd left the the show that day, people had come up to me and gone, You're you're you've got it, you're really funny, you should definitely do more with it. So I was really pumped for about twenty four hours. <laughs> <laughs> and then it, you know, then you start looking back and critiquing your own thing. And I was like, Oh, actually they're probably saying it because they're kind or because I was really nervous and I kind of retrofitted it into, oh, is is it really something I'm good at or is it just we were all carried away on the day and wanting to say nice things to to, to be good people. So I mm-hmm. if I hadn't have had the DM that I got then from the comedian that I met who ran his own night to say, Do you want to do this gig? Mm-hmm. I might not have pursued it with the passion that I then did after having that one so it's I think it's a lot I think the big thing in my career the big team in my career has been networking and I'm so interested in people Mm -hmm. that I will chat to anyone like I want to make friends all the time and it's amazing how often that has somewhere down the road paid off for me Mm -hmm. it's never it's not necessarily what you intend but people I met 10 years ago who are doing comedy or doing corporates when I decided I wanted to run some corporate gigs I was able to sort of tap them up and not 
in a cynical way because when I made friends with them when we started chatting I obviously I didn't know any of this was going to happen but because I meet so many people and I try and stay in touch with a lot of people because that's the personality style I've got yeah there were a lot of there was a lot of goodwill for me and there were a lot of people that I didn't realize did any of the stuff that they do that were then able to help me so when I start because I do a podcast now um like a panel show podcast and when I started doing that it turned out that I knew somebody who knew somebody who had a studio who could give me a good deal I knew a producer who could make the episode sound amazing I knew a photographer who knew someone who was starting out freelance who wanted photos in the portfolio of a lot of different things which is how I got my photo shoot which made it look like a thing before it was even a thing Mm -hmm. so we'd done all the photos and the branding before the podcast even existed and just having that when I was asking guests on it made it look like a real deal so Mm -hmm. it's a bit emperor's new clothes yeah (laughs) I had a a brand and pictures (laughs) but I didn't have a thing (laughs) but people (laughs) believed I had a thing because otherwise why would I have a brand and pictures so, so yeah, yeah, <laughs> and I, like first, yeah. but in that case, that worked out well, right? And I like being part of that network, this kind of barter network. So whenever somebody's like starting a new business or they need any PR help, I love when people come and ask for advice. And I found myself writing press releases for people or doing outreach plans or quickly speaking to a journalist to put someone in touch. Like it's part of my day to day life. These kind of little mm. bargains that you do but I didn't realize they'd all pay off quite as handsomely as they did for the podcast coming together. <laughs> yeah. Do you think now that, cause you had the skills of the one-on-one you were okay and comfortable yeah. talking to people one-on-one. Do you think that with comedy now, your skills of talking about other things besides your comedy has, have improved? Like, are you able to do a panel at some convention and things like that? Are you, did it help you with that? Yeah, I love it. It's a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy though, because so far, most of the panels I've been on or the talks I've been asked to give are about how comedy helped me become a corporate speaker. But the only <laughs> corporate speaking I do is about how comedy helped me become a corporate speaker. <laughs> it's really weird. So you're now an expert in yeah. the thing. <laughs> By pure accident. But yeah, I'm happy to do panels now. I've done a few in lockdown about PR and SEO. I'm happy to present. I'm volunteering to present now rather than hiding at the back and hoping I'm not asked. So mm-hmm. it's completely transformed how I am as a business person in terms of, you know, all this stuff that you learn to manage, like bad feedback, those those kind of things, the resilience that you need for that, the resilience you need to assert yourself in a quite, you know, sometimes quite masculine environment. So, yeah. so you know, like it is getting better, but there are some comedy gigs where you walk in and you might not even only be the only woman on the bill. You might be the only woman in the whole place. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so I've done a few comedy nights like that. And um, yeah, you, you learn to be a bit braver, like also going into venues that norm- normally I would be scared to go into. I'm striding into on my own to <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so come and do my five minutes. <laughs> but it's also helped me with work-life balance hugely because when you move from your day job to comedy you can't be answering your emails if you're sat waiting to go on and a lot of the time when you're at an open mic you're in the audience you can't be there checking your phone looking at your emails scanning on LinkedIn you have to be present at the place that you are and that was something I always struggled with PR was so within my DNA and I think to a degree it became my personality I was so focused 
yeah I was so focused on like the concept of a PR person this always on mentality I loved I was answering emails at 11 o'clock no one told me to it was a culture I'd created myself because before I was any good at my job the one thing I did have available to me was being available Mm -hmm. (laughs) so I primed up those skills being available turning things around quickly and then when I became better and I became more senior I, I couldn't switch it off so I was checking my work emails the moment I woke up and probably checking them the moment I went to bed. It really needed it. Same with holidays, but having something completely different where you have to be a separate person, I think really changed my perspective in loads of ways. So and then in thinking about just networking and stuff, I mean, I think that's something that I still don't fully grasp how to do, you know, and I think that's something a lot of people struggle with is forming authentic connections but also connections where you may give and receive something and I think in friendships it's easy easy to understand like I have a friend who does all my design for me and yeah he's great and he just wants to do it because he believes in what I'm doing and I still don't know what I'm giving him but it seems okay because we have our friendship but I don't know how do you network with people that you've never met like what are tips that you have for that just in general I mean a lot of people have told me that they hate networking I've said it before. <laughs> I didn't, I never minded being in a room with people because I always, like I said, I'll do for other people what I can't do for myself. So if I mm-hmm. see like a group of three or four people struggling, I join in and mm-hmm. I always had, I think I had to learn this through doing the one-to-ones with gym. Some you get on with really well, some aren't your people and there's a lot of dead air. And if it's just two of you at lunch, you have to fill it. So I built all these anecdotes up that were almost like, set pieces in material and some of them have become now set pieces in my company <laughs> I've built up all these little icebreakers in my head to try and get through those awkward moments because with PR when you meet a journalist they have to think you're competent but ultimately they have to like you because you want to be at the front of the queue for them to call if there are eight different insurance companies the only thing you might have going for you because they're all like for like is they like you the best <laughs> right or you're the most fun to chat to or you'd be the most fun to invite to an event so you I kind of learned that on the job but everybody's just it doesn't matter who they are and I guess you learn this you you know this from your own podcast everybody is just we're all just rubbish humans pretending that we know what we're doing and there's something quite empowering about that so it's just just get started really I've got no shame um a lot of people I book on the podcast I just dm Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like hello yeah. <laughs> I guess it's got to be authentic so I wouldn't ever message somebody and say oh my god I love your podcast if I hadn't listened to it or if I didn't mm-hmm. love it so yeah. whenever I'm doing that kind of reaching out to people I hate that phrase reach out I've just used it it's for the four tops and the four tops alone but um, <laughs> <laughs> whenever I'm getting, getting in touch with people <laughs> um yeah it's it's always as honest as I can be so it, it will be I've got this fee for a gig. It's not in any way a reflection of your value (laughs) or your talent. It is literally what I can afford, (laughs) which makes it easier to have those conversations, just being really, really honest. So like, I'm a huge fan of yours. I'm doing this thing. Do you want to be part of it? I did a lot of my, I do it well, I still do. I do a lot of my networking on Twitter because those Mm. conversations are already happening. And if people are, people are having them, they don't mind you jumping in if you've got something to say. So (laughs) Like somebody was talking about dresses for women who were plus size the other day. And I joined in because I had a take on it. Then we started following each other back. And then before you know it, you're chatting quite often. And it's somebody that is now in your network without you even 
really having to try. But yeah, I think putting a putting aside your shyness or the awkwardness of enthusiasm is pretty priceless. <laughs> no, that's, that's true. That's good. And I mean, I think also just being authentic, like if you're authentically interested in other people and you just talk to them, then you're not, yeah, you're not putting them out by asking them just to have a yeah. conversation sort right it's just I like yeah I also like giving people positive feedback I like telling somebody that their outfit is nice or if they've done a talk like oh I love that point like I got into the habit of doing that because I love it when it happens to me but I realized I wasn't doing it like there's nothing more exciting than somebody on the tube like just before when you could touch people touching you on the arm and going oh my god I love your eyeshadow and I would walk away skipping up the road like I'd won the lottery like there is nothing nicer than an unsolicited compliment so I got into the habit of doing that so if there's a book that I read that I liked I'd find the author and tweet them if there was an article I like to read I would try and find you know find something about it find their email and, and message them about it but also with like comedy networking particularly and I guess this is probably true of most networking <laughs> offering to buy someone a drink and have a chat goes a long way <laughs> so when I was new to the comedy circuit I would stick around at the end and try and get to know the MC. not in a not in a, the kind of way that's sharky but just because I had the time if I was out for the evening odds are I'd had one or two wines already and I wouldn't mind having <laughs> another one and it was just the kind of courtesy of you put on the night I'd like to buy a drink let's you know you you learn a lot from people and that was how I found out about other nights that might be great and the ones to avoid and yeah I I have a lot of insight straight away so I noticed over here too and I I don't know I mean you you've been in this in comedy here for a long time London two years but but, you know one of them's been in lockdown so different way (laughs) Yeah, I know the whole lockdown thing has been interesting. But the thing that I noticed so far is people are more open and generous here with information and time and whatever, because I in the States, I'll tell you, like, it's these are these gigs where you're not getting paid, you're maybe getting three or five minutes, and people are acting like you're gonna you're coming for them. You know, like, I don't want to talk to you. And I don't want to give you any advice or whatever, because you're going to get this non-coveted position that I'm in. You know, it's so strange. But here I just noticed people were super, you were super friendly. That's why we're talking. And just, <laughs> oh, that's not true of everybody. <laughs> no, those gigs exist too. You just don't do them. <laughs> if you find the right people, find the right people early on and get into that network of like support and help, you yeah. are quite lucky. But yeah, there were some gigs when I was, um, before lockdown that I didn't have a shot at because it was always you'd always see the same faces over and over again and they weren't the ones that were necessarily open to approach so there are cliques but yeah you don't have to be in them and I think because I because I've come into it a bit older because mm-hmm. I'm 36 now I was 35 when I started yeah uh, <laughs> I'm more of an adult about it I think like I don't you can see people for what they are so there will be some promoters that are a bit power trippy that do treat it like you should be really grateful to even be here and then they're they're shaking the bucket the collection bucket at you yeah (laughs) you were the show yeah like okay (laughs) it's like uh, okay like I don't mind I I don't mind throwing in like a fiver if I've had a great time because I totally get it promoters need you know promoters need that to keep going but the expectation I found as somebody who works for a living and mm-hmm. is a career person, I find that outrageous. <laughs> like, but I just performed here for free for you. <laughs> I know I'm yeah. learning, but 
I was I was in the show. <laughs> so that's an interesting thing too. Is just being someone who's been in the workforce for so long and then going into an industry like this, or I think any art form or creative, there is a different perspective. And you've yeah. you've gone through a lot of things in your career, so it's kind of like petty stuff. Yeah. Otherwise. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and I, I'm just not here for it. And um, I remember I hosted somebody else's gig and the first job he gave me and I was like, again, it was free. It was an, it was an opportunity. I saw it as an opportunity to give hosting a try. Um, mm-hmm. I hosted my own night, so I'd done a few myself already. So I wasn't a complete novice, but I went to host this night as a guest host. And the first thing he did was give me a clipboard and give me a list of names and told them to write them out in my best handwriting. I know. Okay, so people I know. can't what, what, see us, but I was say, we're both wide-eyed at this point, like very... The, the listeners wow. at home, um, you can imagine, um, as a 36-year-old woman as I was, um, mm-hmm. who is a senior PR person, well-regarded <laughs> in an international role, being handed a clipboard by a man and told to write to me out in my best handwriting, as though somehow that was going to help me as a professional and a performer... The, the audacity <laughs> but <laughs> and, do you know what I did it because right why <laughs> I was like why have an argument I'll, I'll do it um and I d- earnestly checked it after <laughs> 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 and, I, and the list was for me because I was the MC <laughs> so, <laughs> so it was just the weirdest exercise in like for want of a better word I guess dominance mm-hmm yeah it was like I felt like I had been put in my place and we had a conversation that night as well because there's this weird thing in comedy that I guess is like years experience in some sectors that how many gigs have you done as though that's some kind of reference point for how good you are and I've seen people who've done five gigs who've been absolutely astonishing that was not me I was not Mm -hmm. five gig good Um, but and I've seen people who are awful who've been doing it for 10 years but it's this arbitrary thing so yeah so I had to ask people how many gigs they'd done yeah. as part of this process with my handwritten, my best written notes. Um, and he asked me, how many gigs have you done? And I said, oh, I think about 78 now, including the gigs that I host. And he was like, oh, no, hosting doesn't count towards your total of shows. I'm like, who came up with this? This is not yeah. a recognized unit of measurement. So yeah. how, how could it possibly not count? <laughs> No. It was just so weird that all these gatekeepers had come together to come up with a load of rules that didn't necessarily make any sense or have any rational basis. And people who aren't maybe, like I said, more confident of themselves are just having to adhere to it. And you just have to buy into this because otherwise, you know, if you're, if I was like a 19, 20 year old, I absolutely would have accepted all of this verbatim. But it just yeah it's coming in and seeing a different perspective and I think that's why I wanted to start my own nights as much as anything because I wanted there to be other options available to quieter people that where they wouldn't be told well if you haven't got 100 gigs you can you can go away um so yeah and there's a lot that asks for 150 yeah based based on what they could be 150 terrible shows (laughs) yeah yeah I mean it's like I have a spreadsheet and I count them, you know, and luckily I was just doing that before just because of liking to have metrics yeah. on myself, I guess. On the things I, like. I don't keep metrics on the things I don't like about myself, just on no. the things I do. With data driven, it'll help us learn. <laughs> right. It helps. But yeah, so 
I did want to talk to you about your own nights and about your podcast, but so when you look at doing your own nights and again, just going back and thinking about the leadership style you like too, has that influenced how you put on your nights and how you book them and how you treat people? I saw you just from afar at your night. Like I was just in the audience watching, but engaging with everyone and stuff. And I observed some things, but how do you approach it based on just what you have learned in business and in comedy? I just wanted it to be a great experience for everyone. I guess like my background in corporate events helps that. You treat it almost like a story. It's how I, uh, it's how I approached my wedding as well. Like there's a narrative. There were moments that I wanted people to observe. I always, there were also like moments where I wanted people to have some quiet reflection time in the wedding. So it was like almost storyboarded. And I think that was my vibe for my comedy nights. Like I wanted from the moment an audience member stepped in to feel like they're in a comedy night. Not that they were like they were in just a, a room upstairs in a pub so mm-hmm. we had like I bought a neon flamingo because like I call the comedy club neon flamingo so I bought a neon flamingo <laughs> to make sure that the you know that the brand was there but it was a different type of lighting in the room so you didn't go from one pub room to another pub room that was important to me I wanted it to be cabaret style because I don't like sitting in lines I, I never liked not having somewhere to put my drink and also I'm really conscious of my legs like when I've done like stage panels it's like I forget what my arms and legs would do at rest because you're aware that everybody's like looking at the whole you yeah (laughs) so I always feel more comfortable in most environments having something in front of me or something to lean on so I wanted to make sure that people have that so from an audience perspective like I was thinking about (laughs) when I was putting that on but I was also thinking of the kind of comedy nights that I liked and I was like I valued having like an area where you could be with other acts because you know Mm. having a chat with the other acts is part of what makes the night so much fun so there was like an area where the acts could sit and there's towards the end we managed to get access to another room so there was like a green room I always Mm. made sure there was I and this is like the privilege of having a full-time job I was able to when acts came offer them a drink like Mm. on on the club and like get some chips and pizza and make sure it's there because like comedy does not pay (laughs) and those like and I couldn't pay a lot but there was a bucket split and of the bucket split I could share it out with people like so I wanted it to be good for everyone and Mm. I really wanted there to be a aspirational headliner even when it was open mic because I started it as like open mic with a pro headliner Mm. because it changes the energy of the night the audience has got something to look forward to and it brought them in so it was worth paying a pro to come in so the audience got something they knew there was going to be something good Right, yeah. <laughs> and it also validated all the names underneath because when you see a pro you just you would just assume because we didn't advertise it as like open mic level it was just a comedy night mm-hmm. up and coming and pro so right. it set an expectation so the audience wasn't sitting there ready to cringe yeah like they would if it was an open mic or new material but also the acts stepped up because they were performing in front of a pro and before a pro they were on a pro bill mm-hmm. I wanted everyone's faces to be on the poster so when I was doing my compilation nights um I made flyers and posters where everybody's face was on it because I felt like people would be proud to have Mm -hmm. their face next to the next to the professional face because that's the sort of thing I would want yeah (laughs) also it's the sort of thing that you'd be more likely to share because there's like when you see posters and it's just the MC for example or just the name of the night and they're like you need to share these assets it's like my name's not even on it right (laughs) Yeah. My Facebook friends have had enough. <laughs> oh, 
they're all blending into one. <laughs> so, I, yeah. so I wanted it to be something slick that people could share that they'd want to share. And I made flyers and I put them out on the tables for people to keep. Because again, it was something that I wanted my gig to be one of those that people talked about, that yeah. acts wanted to do, that they told other acts about. That was something that would meant a lot to me. And because of that, by the end, there were as many sort of pros trying new material as there were open micers. And as it was, it kind of squeezed the time that I had for my friends that I kind of started it for. And I started to feel quite guilty about the balance because people wanted to come and do it. And that's, yeah, it is kind of, that is the approach that I took to it. It's like, I wanted everybody to have a good time. <laughs> nice. No, that's great. And I think too, that's a good point about just kind of, other people will step up their game because sometimes it's hard. You get demotivated after a while because you're going up after someone who just kind of, you know, just threw up all over the room because yeah. they were up or they were having a bad day and they're like, well, it's just an open mic. And um, yeah, and the MC doesn't necessarily because there are so many acts on an open mic doesn't have the time to change the energy or the will. So you no. have good MCs and I, you know, that's what I aspire to be. I'm not there yet, but you see the really good MCs that if somebody's absolutely smashed it, they'll bring it down mm-hmm. to a level. So the expectations aren't too high, but if someone has died, they will bring it up a little bit and we'll sort of take the heat for it. So you can move on to something else. And that's the true skill I think in yeah. hosting. And you don't, you don't necessarily see it because you don't know if someone's good, you don't know that's been done. And it's only when you come out and you go, oh, wow, that was a, a roller coaster because that MC has kind of guided you through it and they've been the consistent point. So right, and- ev- everyone can have a bad night. Even like proper brilliant pros could like land sure. on me. So I think the audience is, it becomes one unit sometimes <laughs> and it's not individuals. So if, if, if a lot of people aren't laughing, you kind of doubt your own version of events so you don't laugh either and then it becomes a bit of a it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy and then if uh, if a comedian maybe picks on somebody a little bit too hard I've seen the audience as one because they like that person because maybe they've been picked on earlier and they come across well turn against the comic on the stage because it's come across as mean-spirited and given them a really hard time so it's yeah there's an alchemy I think to hosting and I think you know the people that are good are so good and I love seeing pros handle hecklers like that as well so that's and again if you're a new newer comic seeing a pro being heckled and and shut it down you learn something Mm -hmm. and it's worth coming to the night so even if the audience isn't massive you have you've learned something and I think the beauty of comedy particularly women in comedy is I can't believe how generous with their time like the female pro comedians have been with me and like they come to the nights and they stay for the night. They don't just turn up and do their set. They'll come early. They'll watch other people's performances. And they're really kind to the performers afterwards. And you go away feeling absolutely buzzing. Like if somebody who you really like and respect has gone, oh, yeah, that was really funny, actually. You go away like, yes. <laughs> and yeah. It just, yeah, it's I've got a lot out of it. And I can't believe, like I said, how generous with their time um, pro comedians have been. When I've like DM'd them, like I said, slid into the DMs. And said, I set up this night and I'm trying to do things a bit differently as a woman in comedy. I want to make a safe space. Will you help me? They, yeah, huge support. So, yeah. And then that's, and that, but that kind of also to me, that's kind of how you operate is you're generous with your time and what you can do. I mean, that's what we've been talking about for a lot of this, right? And so you're getting that back. And I think it's just, 
if you were one of those people who was constantly shutting people down, probably and shutting people out, I doubt you would be experiencing that. But it's, it's yeah, but I got a lot of feedback early on in my career that I was a bit much mm. or that I showed too much personality, like an old senior person who wasn't my boss, but somebody very senior in PR told me um, when I was two or three years in. So I was a professional. I wasn't brand new, but I could drop the ditzy shtick. Oh, and start being taken seriously. And like he meant it as helpful advice it was like you don't need that anymore you're a good practitioner you don't need this dizzy giggly thing that you're doing and it is you know it's going to affect your credibility and I just I was I remember being absolutely gutted and coming out of there and then over the years that did stick with me Hmm. like it didn't really moderate my behavior because that's not the person I am but (laughs) it did it did haunt me a lot um so if I was being outgoing in a meeting for example or chatting to somebody too much or maybe sharing something personal in a in a business like lunch it would sort of that little voice would come back and go are you being too much but I I've been fine with that and it's when I try and temper it that I've not been very successful so I don't think I've come up against and I've, I've worked with some really like quite stuffy financial services and quite stuffy journalists and and they've always responded really well to it. So it was well-meaning advice that really was bad advice. And I think maybe that was true because he was an older person. Maybe that was true then. But I think where we are now, professionals can be respected on their own terms. You don't have to wear a suit every day to be a senior marketer, for example. In fact, like jeans and a turtleneck and a blazer is very much the form. Also, you know, you're entrepreneurs, your grey T-shirts, jeans, Mark Zuckerberg's have completely changed the game in terms of how professionals are perceived. And I think that is quite freeing. As much as I think hipster nonsense offices still drive me crazy, I don't want to slide down a slide to get into work. I don't want to play with Lego, but... I think um, those kind of marketing agencies, the dynamic kind of joke marketing agencies did a lot for people who are a little bit odder. Yeah. (laughs) Um, How those certain feedback does stick with you and how when giving feedback, it's so important to consider what you're saying. I've had those things happen where someone didn't mean to do that, but they kind of flattened me and it's just, okay, think about, if say what you mean and think about the words you're using to say that, you know, yeah. and I don't know. It's, yeah. <laughs> it was like, I was like, this is not a shtick. This is who I am. <laughs> yeah. You can drop your act of being you. Yeah. And you can be that lady. Yeah. <laughs> stop this, this quirky thing. Like yeah. put your suit on now. You've, you've earned, you've earned it. It's like, no, thank you. Um, so I've always looked to hire those kind of people as well. So when I've been in a position to hire for teams, I look for that those characteristics, the kind of outgoing, the slightly different view, because it's nice to have different views. So, yeah. no, that's important. And so, speaking of different, uh, your podcast is really cool, really funny. It's like sitting and uh, sometimes I'm like, should I be having coffee with this or a beer at this point? Always beer. <laughs> All right, but yeah. So, talk about your podcast, uh, Comedy Arcade. I think it's great. I've shown a few friends in this well show and I've sent a link I mean I don't showcase it <laughs> no, you're not having you're not having listening parties on this what yeah. well, you I'm get more listeners 
I don't, you know. It's I'm better showing this up right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, you want me to share it, not just have one person listen to one feed. But uh, yeah, so talk about your podcast because I, I want more people to listen to it. I think it's great. <laughs> so it started off because um, obviously comedy shut down during lockdown in the traditional sense because people weren't allowed to go out and perform. And I still desperately needed the attention and validation that I had. (laughs) (laughs) I did not have the, um, I did not have the stage for it anymore. So I had to create it. Um, So I saw a lot of people doing open mic nights online. It didn't, I just didn't, I didn't love the format of them. Like I'm doing them. I still haven't found one that I think has absolutely smashed it. Like at open mic level, I've seen some pro ones that are really good but open mics we're all doing our best but we're all finding we're having to find the answers together and these brave souls that have jumped in and that are making the mistakes for us and learning on the job of doing it's all a service (laughs) Mm -hmm. but I just didn't want to add another one to the mix so I was getting invites to like 30 or 40 open mic comedy nights a week that were going on on Zoom and I'll level with you I don't even I didn't if I'm not on an open mic even if I'm in real life Odds are I'm not going to it. Right. <laughs> but I'm yeah. not performing. <laughs> Unless it's like a mate doing it I really care about. Like, I, that is not what I do in my spare time. <laughs> oh, you see enough of it on the ones that you're on. So the idea of sitting, <laughs> watching a two-hour Zoom show of amateur comedy in my own home when other options were available did not float my boat. So, <laughs> so I just didn't want to be another one of those. So I thought, what could I do that's different? And... Rather than try and do more stand-up, I thought the conversations that I were because ha- I started a series of conversations on the Sunday afternoon with um, comedians on Instagram Live, mm. where I just messaged them and said, can I interview you for an hour just on comedy, on your experiences, just in case anyone wants to watch it? And they all said yes. I had some really cool people on. And I got so much from being able to ask them questions that they don't get asked by interviewers normally. Right. Or they don't trot out for panel shows. So I had a lot, I got to know comedians and the people that watched seemed to get to know comedians a little bit better. And and some of them are so funny off the cuff, a lot of them even funnier than their written material. So I thought, how can I use this and make it into a concept? So I came up with the idea of doing a kind of roulette for conversation where I put 30 topics into a bingo ball and whatever topic came out, they just jump in with a story or an anecdote or they could do material if they wanted to. But I was like, the only thing is, don't make it sound like material. This isn't a show. This is a conversation. Yeah. And I invited three comedians to do the first one. Um, Jen Brister, Kate McCabe, and Tom Tuck, because I knew them all. So I was like, and I'd seen people stream on Twitch. So I streamed it on Twitch. And people liked it. And more comedians did it for me. And one week, the tech failed. And oh. I only had the sound file. <laughs> and some of the people that were listening to it that normally watched it said, send us the file <laughs> with the show send us the file and the feedback was this could work as a podcast if you ever thought about doing a podcast and I was like not up until now but yes now let's do it so I turned that format into something that would work for listeners um booked a studio um recorded 10 episodes with whoever would come and do it with me <laughs> and it, yeah, people really like it it works and again like Sam Road who runs a lot of really good comedy nights in London in yeah. the north, in the good times he made my jingle for me because I was a Patreon supporter of his. And one of the Patreon tiers was he'll write a little song for you. So mm. I messaged him and I said, well, do you want to do a jingle for my show instead? So he did me a jingle. Um, so it sounded authentic. Um, my photographer friend, like I said, did some photography for me, which were 
I don't know who the person in the picture is. It looks a little bit like me, but she is so glamorous. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I, we came up with the idea in July and we put our first episode out in October. And it charted on iTunes in the comedy interviews chart at 24 in the first week. Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> Unlike no, none of the comedians were like internationally renowned on the first episode. So it's something in the concept people just really liked and it's mm -hmm. just ticked along since then. So booking the last tranche of comedians was a lot easier because people have heard of it now. Right. <laughs> and partly because of my astonishing PR job on it, people think it's going really well. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it is, whether it's going as well as I am projecting on my social media. <laughs> well, you, you don't get to know that. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, so... Well, it'd be bad it's not doing as well like if I did that. Oh, it's not doing as well as I wanted to, guys. So I don't know. You should listen. Yeah, maybe. yeah. No, stop it. You better come on in the next episode because it might not be anymore. Uh <laughs> yeah, that's how you get people on. You know, no one's listening. So do you, I mean? I don't know how long I have in me. <laughs> you could sell your you could sell your comedy ways to literally tens of people. Uh <laughs> yeah, you invite three people. There are three of you. Um, there's an audience of at least three because there are yeah. four on this panel and one of them is you <laughs> that, that is so awful, the worst. then you're like yeah I'm good at PR uh. <laughs> it's, it's, what, it's something you can't fake though like you can't buy your way into the charts it's, like, it's, it's a real exercise of patience for me because I'm used to being able to spin things or throw stuff at things or do some kind of mad marketing thing to push things further than they should be in the time that I've been given but you have to wait with podcasts. You know that people are coming, but podcast is probably one of the only forms of entertainment where peer-to-peer -peer recommendation is still the primary form that your word gets out. You can put your podcast in front of people on ads. You can do banners. You can do Facebook advertising. But there's so much of it. That's not going to get people to listen. You need somebody to go, I listened to this and I loved it and you'll love it because of this. So it is word of mouth is quite slow <laughs> yeah I mean unless you're you know Brene Brown or Michelle Obama launched yeah. podcast. did you see <clears throat> I don't know how you feel about the Royals or whatever but I just thought this was so funny because I was talking to a buddy about how brutal the press is over here the press is so brutal <laughs> oh my god yeah so like Megan and Harry launched their podcast and like a whale sounds podcast <laughs> rated better than it and they're like Harry and Megan humiliated as whale sounds <laughs> Yeah, you can't compare. That's not even comparing apples and pears. That's comparing apples and Lego bricks. The people that are listening to Whale Song have a very different vibe to the people right. that want Harry to pierce the eyes of royalty. And then they were saying, like, who was on their podcast and Elton John and I don't know who else. I, that was the name that I caught. Just I love him. But, like, it was just so funny to me, you know? And I thought, well... That, that's the PR person though that's yeah. the thing this is this is a journalist and a PR thinking it's like what can we do to have a unique spin on this story and that whale something is perfect that yeah. <laughs> I could see how the story was made but yeah it doesn't yeah. really stand up to any kind of ethical scrutiny <laughs> so one last thing I want to chat about and then we'll get to this I have this fun five questions um okay is just like you've written some articles about like body image stuff and, and just, I'll, I'll just say like, for me, I'll relate it to me and then go with it. But like one reason I didn't do comedy for about 
10 years and I tried improv before that and I, I didn't do well in it, but it's not because I was not that good at it is I was just totally uncomfortable with my body. And it was what resonated with me was you said something, I'm going to read something you wrote. Doing comedy has forced me to make my peace with a lot of things. When you are on stage, you're fully exposed from the top of your head to your feet. There's no clever angle to hide behind. Braced for years to reject all photos and videos of myself that aren't to a very specific self-taken brief. I've relaxed a tiny bit because I can see the happiness and energy I feel when I'm on stage making people laugh. And that is beautiful. So, and then you go on and I'll link to the article, but that resonated with me so much and so profoundly because I know there are other people too, who don't fit this certain standard that we see on certain magazines that tell us that that's what everyone wants to see. And, and so how, how did you just kind of come to that? I think, well, I'm still, you know, I, I'm still not there yet. I don't think anybody is. Like, on a bad day, you have a bad day. <laughs> and, and it's just, you, you kind of have to accept that as part of that just, I mean, we are hardwired to those standards, unfortunately. But I think I was so excited initially when I first started doing comedy, I was so excited to be doing something that I thought I would never do, that the adrenaline kind of pushed through the, oh, I don't want people to look at me. And then my friends would be taking photos of me. And I, you know, I didn't have time to worry about like, oh, that's a low angle. I'm not going to like that. I did. I was aware of it because there's like a track on my mind that where that's all, that dog is always running on that racetrack. So, but yeah, um, you have to watch the videos back. Like I, I had to buy the videos to watch them back to try and learn from them and I had to really push past like oh I look terrible I well, do I really look like that and see beyond it to the material and that's when I started to like like it like even mm. if it wasn't how I would have loved to look like I was proud of those sets and I was proud of how much fun I was having and the laughs and I could see how much fun I was having and how sparkling my eyes were and like the smile was real even if it was in a face that I thought was chubbier in the video than I looked in real life like I started to make those decisions so I was sharing things that I would never have shared like if I was in the back of a video looking like that I would bury it <laughs> digitally <laughs> like, untag message yeah. my friend and say crop me out like yeah but like pictures of me on stage so I wanted people to know that I'd done those gigs and it, mm -hmm. it, it started to matter to me more that started to matter more than the cosmetic elements of it which was really I needed that a lot but yeah. you know it's still you can't help but be aware of it you can't help but like assess how you look you know when you're looking at the comedians that make it on tv as well and they sit in two boxes there's the, the fat funny people you know, yeah, that's a box that I need to make my peace with being in. Like, <laughs> and you know, there's there's the LGBTQs, so the very specific, there's a very specific look to some of the like the queer comedians that you see that apparently the press seems to really love. And you've got your beautiful doll, Catherine Ryan's and Rachel Paris's that are sort of more conventionally like. But I think what made me sad and like what still makes me sad is those boxes do exist and they do exist in people's heads. So it's like, oh, yeah, like you're like Dawn Friends, Victoria Wood, fat, funny personality people. Well, that doesn't that's not true for men. Right. <laughs> there are no boxes for men, are there? Like we could no. we could box up all the famous female comedians into probably four genres. Mm -hmm. 
of the ones that sort of break through. How is that? Like, I don't look at Jason Manford and a couple of like Kevin Bridges and go, oh, you're the you're the chubby man. Right. That was funny in school. I just think you're funny. You're funny. You're funny in individual ways. I don't crop them. I think that disappoints me. And there's a lot of work to do in the comedy industry because of that, because you you they don't get judged by that. And they don't get judged. Your set is their set isn't judged by like men and women going, oh, yeah, as I thought, all men aren't funny. Like if Kevin Bridges isn't funny, people go, Kevin Bridges isn't funny. If Joe Brand isn't funny on one show, men go, oh, women aren't funny. It's like I thought. Like, mm-hmm. It's true. It's, it's so much harder. It's so much harder to be seen as good on your own merit because everybody wants to go, oh, you're funny like Rebel Wilson. You're funny like this person. You don't see that with men. No one's looking at these male comedians going, you're funny like this person. They, You know, you see occasional, like, Stuart Lee wannabes mm. where it comes through in the style. Right. But no one looks at a man telling generic stories about his penis and goes, oh, you're just like this whole bunch of comedians, even though that's all male comedians. Men <laughs> 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 talking about their penises. Yeah, it's <laughs> true. It's very true. Yeah, because it's so fascinating to everyone. <laughs> yeah, it was the first thing that happened to me when I first started getting into comedy. People would come up to me at the end and they go, oh my God, you remind me so much of. I was braced for it each time. I was like, they're going to say Rebel Wilson. Mm. And I had to get used to it <laughs> because that was in their mind, a funny, overweight woman. That's it. Yeah. They drawn the line. You're like this person. And I was like, well, our comedy styles aren't really the same. In fact, she's not even known for stand up. She pretty much does a lot of character based yeah. acting. So I don't remember rolling about on the floor, um, but sure, <laughs> I yeah. guess I guess there's a compliment in this somewhere, but I don't, I can't see it right now. But it, yeah, and the more people told me, the more I did make my peace with it, and the less it, the less it bothered me. So yeah. it's almost like, what is it like immersion therapy? <laughs> we have so much of it thrown at you <laughs> that you just come out the other side. Saying <laughs> it, so yeah, 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 and it's not meant to be. You know, they they mean it just like that's the funniest person that they yeah. think like you that they that looks like me, <laughs> right? It's nothing to do with your comedy style, right? No. And that's another thing. Like when guys get compared to other guys, it's the style of comedy. It's not the clothes. Yeah. Because I I would say I dress more like Ricky Gervais half the time than anyone, right? No. You know, but like <laughs> I mean, I honestly, see that. <laughs> yeah. So it's just like because it's just like wear a plain t shirt and jeans, and you know, but. I would never get compared to him. I mean, I guess if I started doing stuff like him, I don't. But like, you know, that that'd be kind of cool. But yeah, yeah it's, it's funny. It's, it's unlikely that you will be. Sorry, I got told, yeah, because I got feedback one day. I got told to, I should butch it up. And I was like, I'm not even gay. So <laughs> what do you mean? Like, you've decided that that's what I It was the weirdest thing. And I was like, bye. Like, I stopped seeing that inst- instructor. Because I was like, no. That's, that's exactly what we were talking about. That's somebody seeing four boxes you could be in and going, do you know what? You could be stronger in this box. Be that. <laughs> Rather than why don't we develop you so you're in your own, you start your own box, which right. is you. <laughs> yeah. It's strange, but I really appreciate you sharing those kind of thoughts and, and being open about that because I think that is helpful to people, you know. To I want more people to do it. And that's the thing, I want everyone to do it. And I don't want people to not do it because they see others looking outwardly confident Mm -hmm. and think, oh, that's not the person I am. That wasn't the person I was. 
Like I had to redesign who I was or kind of reverse engineer it basically because it was something that I wanted to do so badly. I had to make the pieces fit and I started wearing like all black because I thought I wanted to be smaller. Like I wanted to take up less space. I didn't want my size to be included in how people rated me as a comedian. And as time has got on, I now favor a massive statement sleeve. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I take up more space and I'm I'm okay with taking up that space. So I feel like I deserve it. And it's yeah. it's a work in progress, but <laughs> Yeah, as, as something you, I can sort of look back on and look at all the black outfits that I thought might be slimming that I wore on my first gigs to now. <laughs> That's interesting, actually. Yeah. Yeah, because so, you're very, I would say, um, now I'm trying to find the right word because, see, the words do matter. But I would say, <laughs> like, I would say more flamboyant than all black, right? Yeah. It wasn't who I, it didn't really suit who I was and it wasn't how I dressed for work, but it was how I felt I should dress. And also I, at the time felt like I had to adhere to, nobody else dressed up. Like I was Mm -hmm. so excited to do a show. A show for me would be full makeup, proper hair, because you're going out in front of people. And um, not a lot of that on the open mic circuit. (laughs) You know, people coming straight from work and I thought, oh, maybe I need to dress down to fit in, but. Like I said, I realized quite quickly that thing wasn't really going to get me any further than just being myself. So yeah, no, that's cool. That's great. Well, I'm glad you. I'm glad you did that because I think it. You're definitely like a voice people people need, and especially the podcast. And I think we've got another at least half a year where that's going to be a lot of people. Certainly easier to book guests. (laughs) They have no other offer. Yeah, exactly. so I have a fun five, like a set of questions. So first, before that, I asked, is there any like last advice you want to impart or that you haven't said? I mean, we've kind of got delved into quite a bit, but. No, I just think, and it's really cliche, isn't it? To be like, oh, be, be as authentic as you can be. But that's the only way things have worked out for me. And whenever I've tried to deviate from that or be something that didn't quite fit, it, it never worked out. So. Yeah, that's. I mean, I think that's, I don't know, it's cliche in a way, but probably not because people still need to hear that, you know, yeah. they're still not doing it. Um, all right. So this last five questions, this is really based on my wardrobe, but what's the oldest t-shirt you have and still wear? Oh, I, I am a hoarder of clothes because I've got so many that some don't see the light of day for years, but then it is the exact thing that I want. Uh, <laughs> and, and yeah, they are so old. So I've got like a she one. That when I was about 19 or 20, that to be edgy, I cut the sleeves off and cut the most atrocious jagged neck hole. And um, I, I can't get rid of it. I, I can't give it up. No, I, I get it. That was a vibe that I had. Oh, um, <laughs> yeah, I've got, I've got loads. And then people will see me in some of the, the better wearing things and go, oh my God, where'd you get that? And be like, oh, Topshop 15 years ago. <laughs> You can't have it. It was from 15 years ago. <laughs> nice. So um, one thing people have said is that it's been like Groundhog's Day lately, just since we've been in this pandemic. And so Bill Murray would hear um, I Got You, Babe, playing every morning from his alarm clock. So what song would you have on your alarm clock waking you up every morning if it really was Groundhog's Day? Oh, um, there are loads of songs, actually, that I never get tired of hearing. Um, when it's a bit, it's uh, very... <laughs> It's very emo. Um, Dashboard Confessional, hands down, it is one of the most perfect 
like pop punk songs I've ever heard. It's like the it captures like all of the excitement of like the first date when you're like 17 or 18 and everything was like the one thing you had to worry about was getting home in time for your curfew. It's it's just perfect, optimistic, pure pop. So that is that is a hot tip. All right. <laughs> Maybe I'll do a playlist of everyone's songs actually. Yeah. Um all right. So, just, this is a question that's gonna haunt me later because I'm gonna think of ten others that I like more. <laughs> I know. I know. Uh coffee or tea or neither? Oh, oh why why would, why would you make me choose? Um I used to be hardcore camp tea, but um I've I've lent into coffee mainly because I could afford good coffee. So I've got mm. one of those stovetop coffee things now. And but I never want more than one of those. So I think still tea. Okay, still tea. But yeah, yeah. I I know. It's it's a habit. Um Okay, and when was like the last time you remember laughing so hard you cried or just couldn't stop or like something that you think of now that makes you do that? Oh, any uh any video of somebody falling over as long as it doesn't look like they're badly hurt. <laughs> have you seen this one called Grape Lady Falls? No, but I can't wait. Okay, to I'm going to send it to you. And for anyone listening, it's just Google, and I'll just send it to you, Vic. So you don't have to do this. Google Great Lady Falls. Great Lady Falls. Gemma Collins Fall okay. is worth watching as well. It's a reality TV star who falls over an award ceremony. I revisit it often when I'm sad. Uh- All right. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's so terrible. So she terrible. was fine. She was fine. Well, that's a- <laughs> We're fine. Um, I mean, I fall quite a bit, so I I don't know. Maybe it's just you know, payback. Um, all right. <laughs> I love when I fall over as well. I'm I'm just as amused by that. <laughs> all right. And who inspires you right now? Oh, too too many people. Uh, <laughs> like loads of day to day people, I guess. Um, that are just getting out there doing things that are way above. <laughs> <laughs> well I sometimes I just see it's so hard in lockdown sometimes you don't even want to get out of bed so the people that are not only getting out of bed doing their stuff but also like volunteering and doing that kind of stuff as well amazing um like the stuff that like the bravery of the uh, Eddie as well the comedian who's um just come out as a trans woman and really never probably didn't have to didn't have to stick a neck out like that for you know because could have just lived a quiet life had so much love and respect and so many fans didn't need to Mm-hmm. ever formalize it and chose to do that for a greater purpose and like also brought some kind of like they've recently brought a take about jk rowling how like she doesn't think jk rowling is in her soul like transphobic and it's like it's really interesting hearing somebody take on those topics yeah and, and offer a different take and it's necessary to the conversation because obviously everything is so everybody is so polarized and so angry on conversational spaces like Twitter that having somebody with that particular experience coming out and offering a different view, I think is so brave mm-hmm. and didn't have to. And that's the thing. Didn't have to. Could have just lived a quiet life being a true self. I think there's something really cool about that. And I was already a huge fan, but I think well, it's really like great. The 20, doing marathons every day, right? Or something. I know. That's what I mean. Like imagine having that kind of energy and that kind of time and being so honest and so generous in a world that has not been generous to them in a lot of ways so and uh, yeah. yeah genuinely like one of the reasons that I fell in love with comedy I used to listen to Eddie Azard's comedy albums like other people would listen to music like even though I'd heard all the jokes a million times there was something in it that I just 
there's always something new to find <laughs> that's still that's my right. before bed listening as well if I can't sleep I will put one of those Olsen's on and <laughs> nice all right well Vix thanks so much this has been really great to chat with you and just learn about your career in both comedy and PR so I really appreciate it and um, definitely we'll point people to the podcast for please sure. do <laughs> yeah no this is exciting it's like go from this one just go straight to comedy arcade. Straight there. The yeah. <laughs> you don't even have to listen to it. Just let it play in another room. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. On any on your all your devices. Just do that. Yeah. Why listen on one where you can listen on two? Uh, and your phone and your laptop. You can have it playing twice on two different players on a single laptop, I found. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Hacks. All right. Well, thanks so much, Max. I really appreciate it. Thank you. This has been really fun. <laughs> thanks for joining me this week. You can find out more about our guest in the show notes. The music you're probably moving to by now is by Joe Mafia. Find him on Spotify. That's Joe, M-A-F-F-I-A. And Rob Meckie is responsible for our visual design. You can find him online by searching for Rob, M-E-T-K-E. Thanks, Rob. Let us know who you'd like to hear from or about your own experiences defining yourself outside of work at More Than Work Pod on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Give us a follow. Or visit our website at RobbiaSaid.com. Subscribe on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening to More Than Work. We'll be back next week with another guest. In the meantime, while being kind to others, don't forget to be kind to yourself. Yeah.